This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Katie Bullard, president of Discover.org. On this episode, Katie talks about evolving from CMO to chief growth officer to president. She also talks about best practices for stepping into a new CMO role, evaluating channels, and much more. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have, on the other side of the world, Lauren Vaccarello, what's going on? Not much. How's it going, Ian? It's a beautiful day here in sunny Palo Alto, and we are super excited to have a special guest on. Katie, what's going on? Going well. I'm up here in exotic Portland, Oregon. It's also a beautiful sunny day. I love Portland. What an amazing city. It's pretty good, especially, you know, between June and October. Yeah, especially indeed. I saw a bald eagle the first time I visited, and I was like, this is great. What a great place. That's amazing. Yeah, we uh, we saw one. Actually, we were moving up here from Austin to Portland a few years ago. And on our moving trip up here, we saw a bald eagle. So we, we knew we were in the West. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. You know, well, we know that it's time for marketing trends because we're on our favorite podcast excursion. Um, we're going to get into a bunch of CMO advice from you We're going to talk about your career and a bunch of the lessons learned, some first-time CMO action, some chief growth officer, what's that means. We're going to do some rethinking product marketing and all that. But first, how did you get into marketing in the first place? (laughs) Literally by complete accident. So the first half of my career, I actually was in real estate development, economic development, urban planning type roles. Great setup for marketing, of course. Very natural. And I ended up being recruited over to a software company that did real estate management software, even though I didn't have any tech experience, but I'd had experience on the real estate side. And originally I'd gotten recruited as the chief of staff to this company. And so went through the interview process, really great interviews, loved the CEO. Um, But we got to the end of the process and realized that I was going to need to relocate out to Santa Monica for about a year. And my husband had just started business and I couldn't do it. So I said, I, I just can't, I can't take that, even though this sounds like a great gig. And the investors behind the business, the private equity owner said, we think you're great. So we're going to try to find a role for you that would be in Austin, which is where my husband and I were at the time. So about four months later, I got a call and they said, what do you think about coming on board and being in marketing, actually being a director of marketing? And I thought they were insane. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, I had this background in like corporate strategy and finance and real estate. 
I'd never done marketing before in my life. I, I, you know, I had done competitive intelligence. I'd done some of, some of what would be considered product marketing for sure, but certainly never demand gen or content marketing or anything like that. And they said, no, we think, we think you have the personality for it. We think you've got a lot of the base skill sets and we're going to bring in an advisor for you to help you be great at this. So I, you know, I love to do new things and try new things. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it, but I don't think I'm going to do it for very long. Like I'm going to learn this skill for 18 months or two years. And I'm going to go back into, you know, a strategy role. And that is literally how I ended up in marketing. I came into a company, they had let go of most of the marketing team. I had to build this thing from the ground up. I had to figure out what in the world to do for trade shows and what SEO even meant and what SEM meant. And it was honestly, it was one of the best experiences of my entire career. How did you, jumping into this role, and it sounds really exciting and chaotic, how did you, how did you know where to start? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I remember doing is I I wrote out this email. I think I probably have it still somewhere. I wrote out this email to the, you know, to the CEO and, and the board member. And I, I wrote out what I thought I would be able to kind of do day one, like what I could hit the ground running on and what I literally knew nothing about. And I had done like all this research online, like what is marketing? <laughs> What I, what I didn't know. And so basically I built a plan where I came in, I was able to kind of, you know, I was very good at understanding industries. I already knew this industry and I already knew this product pretty well. So I knew from kind of a messaging and positioning and product marketing side, what I wanted to do. And then I, I basically built a, a learning plan, just like you go to school. I built a learning plan for what I needed to learn on the other side and who I needed to have helped me on that. And then I, I set an expectation. Hey, it's going to take me 60 to 90 days to ramp up here to where I even know the right questions to ask. And that's exactly what I did. And I really, not that I knew everything at the end of 90 days, not, not at all, but at least by the end of 90 days, I felt like I knew what questions I needed to ask. I knew what other roles I needed to hire to fill the gaps that I had. And I had already started to make some progress on, you know, on the product marketing side. So it was all about kind of getting a, a couple of quick wins, but identifying long-term what I needed to go fill. So flash forward to today, you are the president, which is amazing. You know, we love when CMOs turn presidents, CEOs, CEOs, all sorts of that fun stuff, huge fans. Um, so flash forward to today. What is kind of the roles and responsibilities that you oversee as as president of Discover Work? Sure, you know the, the the term president can mean a lot of different things at a lot of different companies. Um, here at Discover Org, our CEO and co-founder is still here. He's an amazing guy, Henry Shuck. And so what we've done is we've sort of split the business into um, the operational areas that we're both really great at. So for me, that means um, managing marketing, product, customer experience partnerships and our corporate development functions. So you joined the company as chief growth officer. Why the term chief growth officer instead of CMO? Uh, And what were you kind of doing before you got promoted? Yeah, so technically, I think I was actually CMO for about six months. So, So technically, I got brought on as the CMO. We had a small marketing team, but a really great marketing engine that just needed a little bit of optimization. 
but I came in and at my previous company, I had led marketing and product. And so I'd already sort of, you know, set the stage that, hey, I was going to come in and really focus on getting the marketing engine going. But I also knew that we didn't have a true product management function. And so the, the discussion that we'd had, Henry and I was, hey, let me come in, let's get marketing working, let's get this thing really optimized, and then let's go work on product management. So about six months into it, I took over product management, which is then when the chief growth officer title came. And the way that I think about those two functions in particular, as it relates to kind of the, the full go-to-market process is at the end of the day, as a successful software tech company, we have to come up with product ideas. We have to build products. We have to ideate on products, build products, and launch products that actually meet a real market demand that become the engine of growth for this business. We could have the best sales team in the world. And by the way, I think we do. We could have the best sales team in the world. We could have, you know, the best event planning team in the world. We could have the best data in the world. But if we couldn't bring to, to market products that people were willing to invest in and stick with us, like we were never going to grow scalably. So what I tell the product team, I told the marketing team is you guys are the engine of growth for this company. And if you're doing your job, the sales team's going to have to hire more sales guys. That is the outcome of you doing your job really well. And so tell us a little bit about Discover Org and kind of some of those insights that you have kind of from your vantage point that you were like, why you were really excited to join the company kind of in the first place. Yeah, you know, this was this great example of like really connecting with a with a company's purpose and mission. I had at my previous my previous job, which was a, a at a legal tech software company in Austin. I, you know, I'd run the marketing team and we'd built an SDR team, kind of from the ground up. We didn't have any outbound prospecting, and as part of building those teams and those functions, what we realized was we had to have good data on our prospects. And we were kind of in this niche industry. We didn't have great data. We didn't know who to reach out to. You know, one of the core tenets of our ideal customer profile, for instance, was the dollars of legal spend in a legal department. And we couldn't find that data anywhere. And so I'd hired, I would hire all these interns. And every year I would hire interns. They'd come in at the beginning of the summer. They call, they do research, they try to map the organizational structure of our target accounts. They would try to figure out what competitive solutions they were using. They'd put all this data into our CRM. And then of course they would leave at the end of the summer. And by the time we literally got around to taking all that data so that we could build a ranking model for our sales team to go after, the data was stale. And it was this just really frustrating process. And of course, every time we would do an acquisition, we'd have to do this again. And so I remember seeing a demo of Discover Org for the first time. Um, I was introduced to the company by our, our investor owners. And literally my first reaction was, how have I never had this tool my entire life? Yeah. Because I could see that this would have solved that pain that I had had around you know, getting these great data insights, keeping my data clean being able to you know, arm the sales team with the types of profiles and insights that were going to allow them to do their job better. So I immediately connected and I thought to myself, well, shoot, I can market this product because I really <laughs> have felt that pain. And I feel like just talking to every single marketer and marketing leader, all of our problems are always 
if only I had better data. Data. And if only my data wasn't there. And then you have something like Discover Org, and you're like, wait a second, I can fix my data? Like what? Mind blown. Yeah. Yeah, completely. So did you go into that role? And I, I'm curious, you know, when you changed from the title of CMO to chief growth officer, you know, it kind of reminds me of like why I'm chief content officer. Was it because kind of growth is your product? So you want to align closely with growth? Was that kind of the thought process there? You know, honestly, it wasn't. I had actually run into a couple of chief growth officers previously, and they typically actually owned marketing and product. It was becoming this kind of interesting new alignment within a lot of organizations. You know, I think historically, a lot of times sales and marketing rolled up to the same leader. And I think that can work really, really well. If you have a sales leader who's also you know, really well uh, in touch with the marketing side, for me, I, I gravitated towards the product and the marketing side. And I think more and more we were seeing other leaders doing that. And this title just basically came out of of that alignment. So literally it was, I just didn't want to be CMO and CPO. <laughs> uh, CGO sounded, sounded good. And, and you you actually see it more and more these days. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have kind of like the CRO track, which is like, you know, CMO becomes the chief revenue officer and then becomes the CEO, for example, or you have kind of like CMO becomes, whether it's chief growth officer or, you know, whatever it is, it could be, you know, the CMO CIO blend is another one, like chief uh, digital officer, yep. whatever it is. But yeah, same sort of ideas. Like you either align marketing and product rolling up to one person or sales and marketing rolling up to one person. So do you work really closely with, like, do you, do you all have a CTO? Like, how do you, how do you create yeah. the tech? We do. We have a CTO and of course we have a CRO. So we work very, very closely together um, on both sides of it. You know, the, I, I think I, I was kind of fortunate in that because I didn't come up specifically through marketing, I actually came, my first tech role was, it was a chief of staff role. And because of that, I was able to really understand how all of these parts of an organization work together, how they have to work together because, you know, we all feed each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of that, I came in with a mindset of how do I create this kind of end to end cycle within the company where product is coming up with really great product ideas based on a deep, deep understanding of the market and the customer. How do they feed those ideas to the development team so that they can build a product that is actually going to be sellable? How do we make sure that those products don't escape? We just don't build a product, but we actually launch it. Mm -hmm. We actually generate demand for that product. How do we, you know, arm the sales team with the tools that they need to go sell the product how do we get feedback on the product, both from our customers and the market, and continue to iterate and improve it? So I, because of the original kind of corporate strategy and chief of staff roles I had been in, I saw that. And I think coming into my first marketing role, even before I was CMO, that was something that was really, really important to me. What were some of those things that going in were you know, I'm going to, I want to set up the first 90 days or whatever the time horizon is to make sure that I'm here for the long haul, number one, Yep. number two, so I can accomplish the things that I think the organization needs to accomplish. Yep. So coming into Discover Org, we didn't have great data and visibility into the 
what was actually working and not working from a marketing perspective. And, you know, I fundamentally believe that no matter what functional role you're in, or if you're in a president or CEO role, the most important thing that you have is visibility into the operations of your business so that you can make data-driven decisions based on that. So the very first thing I did, or two two things I did. One, I came in, I listened to the team, listened to the sales team. You know, I took inventory of what was working and not working, and I put together a 90-day plan. And in that 90-day plan, I said, here's what I think I can accomplish in the first 30 days. Here's the next 60 days. um, And then here's kind of, you know, a quarter out. And I, I remember telling our CEO that the very first thing I needed to do was get revenue attribution in place because I couldn't make any decisions about what was working and not working until I had visibility into that. And it, it, we did, we got that in place. And as soon as that was in place, we were able to really start making smart decisions. And, and, and in fact, in some cases, decisions to actually decrease the number of leads in some areas because they were, um, they were not ultimately delivering any revenue to the business. They were just padding the lead number. And I think because I, because I came in, I had a very clear vision of what I knew I could accomplish in the short term, but what, I, what was going to need to take a little bit longer. I think I set the expectation appropriately, both with our CEO and our board, about what we were going to be able to do quickly and, and what was going to take a little bit longer. But then spending the time to get the systems and the infrastructure in place, that's what then allowed us, once that was in place, to move very, very quickly. And a couple of things that I've heard you talk about in the last few minutes is really about setting expectations and having this deep level of communication with what it sounds like is the CEO, is the board, or different constituents. I think that's really sort of not talked about enough is building those those initial pieces of trust and, and that communication. How did you go about doing that? What tips or recommendations do you have for, for marketing leaders to really build that level of trust? my biggest tip is not to be afraid to say that not everything's going to happen right away. You have to be confident enough and transparent enough to be okay saying that. You know, I remember my interview with Henry, he said, I want, I want a CMO who's revenue driven. I need somebody who's going to come in and going to tell me, you know, what's driving revenue, what's not driving revenue. And then of course to drive more of that revenue. And I remember then my first week coming on board saying, hey, I want to repeat back what the expectations are. These are what I think your expectations are, the things that are most important to you. Let me make sure I have that right. Number one, yes. Here's how I'm going to go about doing it. Here's the approach I'm going to take. I'm going to come to you as I'm finding things, but I want to set the expectation that like, I'm not going to double leads overnight. Like, It's not going to happen we will get there and we will double leads and we will double, you know, the, the pipeline coming from marketing and, and we will accelerate the growth of this company, but it's going to take a little bit of time. And I just, I just had to be okay having that conversation. And I think for somebody in that CMO role, like you have to be okay having that conversation. And, and quite frankly, if you're working for a CEO, who's not okay, having that conversation, like you should rethink it. And Henry was totally open to that. Did you find that, there was a certain amount of attribution like relief once you put in something in place that could track that stuff better? Like how did sales respond and what were some of your tickets? It was <clears throat> unbelievable. So I mean, the first thing that we did even before we had a system in place was 
was as a sales and a marketing team, we got together and we actually clearly defined what we wanted to measure. And we agreed on the definitions of those things, right? So we're at Discover Org, we're a very, very um, inbound driven engine. We, we, have a, we have an outbound team and they're phenomenal. We have our target accounts, but our market is huge, right? We have a million companies in our target market. So we weren't going to be a, a, an 100% ABM based company. So it was really important that we defined, like when we talk about inbound leads coming in, like we all agree what is a lead and what isn't a lead. We all agree what the expectation on how quickly we're going to, sales is going to respond to that lead. We all agree on what the expected conversion rate of the leads to demos are. And we build that together and then we fine tune it together as, you know, as things change. So that was step one. That was sort of relief one was getting to that place. And then we got, I remember we got the system in place and it took about 30 days. We have a short sales cycle. So that was nice because it allowed us to, to see things pretty quickly. It was about 30 days and that we were, we really started to be able to see which channels were driving quality demos, quality pipeline, quality revenue, and which channels weren't. And actually being able to say, Hey guys, this one channel, which at the time was, I think our second biggest source of leads, we were bringing in something like a thousand leads a month. And over a six month period, it had generated one $6,000 deal. To actually be able to say, we are going to kill this. We are not going to spend any more effort and time on this particular program. And we're going to funnel all of those resources and those money into something else. And by the way, leads are going to go down. But we expect conversion rates to go up because now our sales guys aren't going to be spending so much time on these bad leads coming in. That it was, it was like an enormous relief. And in literally a single month, Leads went down uh, at the time, I think it was about 20%. So leads went down about 20% and conversion rate to demo doubled. It wow. doubled from one month to the other. So because of that, our pipeline grew. And I think I didn't realize this was going to happen. I had no like psychic notion that like, this was going to happen. <laughs> but, but I think the fact that that actually did happen built the trust between the sales, the marketing and the executive team more than anything else because I had even said going in, like, leads might go down. I don't know, but they might. And it, they did. So I can definitely see that kind of building that, that level of trust. And you went in and you were transparent and said, leads might go down. And then after a month, you get the sort of results that everyone wants, which are, you know, higher conversion rates and more pipeline. And I just, I can't emphasize enough, enough for everyone listening of the focus on the right metrics. Yeah. And it is very, very, very rare where leads are the right metric. The right yeah. metric is pipeline, it's ARR, it's revenue, it's customer lifetime value, it's things that actually touch money. And you know, I remember early earlier in my career, I had a really, really similar sort of story and case where you know we focus on driving leads, and there's even sort of early days of digital where we were just looking at SEM and what keywords were driving leads versus pipeline and it turned out once we finally got attribution tracking in place and I went back and looked at money that was being spent and I think we were spending a half million dollars a year on um, an advertising channel that generated a ton of cheap leads but never generated any revenue and the second you you see that and you find that and you're like I'm gonna cut this I'm gonna double down on something else once you have that moment of realization Every time you, you do marketing after that, 
It is the, no, what are we focusing on? What are we driving? How are we making sure we are not, not just burning money, but burning the salespeople's time and really, really focus on how do I drive? How do I drive dollars? Well, and I think that's the biggest mistake that I see CMOs making. Lauren, you're probably the same is that so many CMOs come in and they're so focused on driving up the lead numbers and they, they aren't, they aren't speaking the same language that the, the CRO is speaking, that the CEO is speaking, or that the board is speaking. Even if, if they're the absolutely the smartest CMOs in the world and what they're doing is driving a ton of revenue, if they aren't thinking about and positioning the strategy of the marketing department in the same way that the CEO and the board is thinking about the business objectives, then they're doing themselves such a disservice. Oh, completely. It is the... How, and it, that goes back to how are you building trust with your peers, with your boss, with the board? And if all you do is walk in talking about leads and everyone sits and shakes their head in and goes, you know, there's that marketer again, has no idea what's going on with the business. It doesn't matter how good you, you're actually doing. If they can't relate to you and understand you, you were just setting yourself up sort of uh, two steps back. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would add to that too that if in your first 90 days you're teaching the board something about the company that they didn't know, if you have your detective hat on and you're saying, you know, hey, did you know that a third of our spend that goes to this is, you know, has generated $6,000, like that's it? That's a pretty good position to be in, uh, to be able to do that. Is there is there some other stuff that like surprised you about either being a CMO or kind of in that first, you know, year period? Well, kind of along the, the same theme as the, the setting the expectation with the board, I think the thing that surprised me is actually how little boards typically understand about marketing and how much education is actually required to get them to understand the strategy behind marketing versus just sort of the tactics of marketing. And, and to your point, the key there is to understand what they care about and then show how marketing is directly impacting what they care about and what changes are going to make the most impact there. So I think that was actually surprising to me when I first moved into a marketing leadership role was just the amount of education that I would need to do around specifically that. The cheering you hear in the background is a million voices <laughs> you know, cheering in the world. Maybe not a million, I don't know, thousands and thousands of voices echoing Supporting you, Katie, for for your insights, and it's a still it's a it's an uphill battle, right? There's still a lot. I mean, we I'm fortunate we've got a good board here, and we are we are in a company where seventy percent of our revenue comes from marketing generated leads. So it's a little bit easier to make that that connection very very clear. But even then, sometimes they it feels like a lot of times the answer to a pipeline problem is we'll hire more SDRs, and I always think to myself. 70% of the revenue is coming from leads. For us, the inbound channel is way more efficient than the outbound channel. When we're thinking about where to put our money and how to invest, at the very least, this needs to be a very balanced strategy between inbound demand generation programs and our outbound you know, headcount and resources. No, I, I, was just, I just wanted you to expand on that because I think that that's a, an extremely salient point. Um, so how do you position that? So actually, I, we worked with the finance team to actually build an efficiency model. 
So again, you've got to speak the board's language. You've got to speak the CEO's language. So we actually looked at, we looked at our, our inbound marketing channel. We looked at our outbound SDR led channel. We do some outbound marketing programs as well. We looked at that channel and then we looked at the self gen channel and we actually did kind of a full um, customer acquisition cost and efficiency. So the customer acquisition cost and then the, the lifetime value of the rev, the customers coming through each of those channels to show the differences in each of the channels. And it, it wasn't to say you shouldn't invest here or you should invest, you should only invest there. But what we were able to show is that, you know, the inbound channel is about 50% more efficient um, than the outbound channel. And so that just allowed us to go in and be much more supported when we had investment requests. I, I love that in building that efficiency model. And it, it really lets you make smarter decisions. And something that you said is, it's not about only investing in one channel and one tactic in marketing. It's about how do you build this balanced approach? And you can also be, you're also then able to make these trade-offs saying, okay, of all of these different vehicles, if I need to spike revenue or I need to fill a gap or accelerate growth two quarters out, which are the most efficient places to put that? And where's the ceiling on all of these different channels? And when do I hit diminishing returns and being able to really look holistically? And the, what I always sort of get a kick out of when, you know, whether it's the fee or the board says, you know, just hire more SDRs, then it's, well, we hired all these SDRs and they've ramped up, but there's not enough leads for them. Well, we didn't invest in, we didn't invest in driving more leads. We invested in having more bodies. Yeah. And I can't get you more, I can't just pull leads out of a hat. So before you hire more bodies, what's all the support that needs to happen to really fuel those bodies? And I think building that the efficiency model that you described lets you make smarter business growth decisions and is no doubt, you know, a big part of the reason Discoverer has been so successful and grown so quickly. Such a good point. What about giving your customers uh, or prospects information in real time? Like how do you talk to your customers and prospects in a way that is value add, that is meaningful, that delivers insights when you have, you know, a million target accounts, for example? <laughs> yeah. So that's a tough question. I will say, I, I think it's the thing we're going to see the most advancements in over the next three to five years, both in sales and in marketing. Um, I'll answer it in different ways for customers than prospects. So I think we've gotten a lot better at Discover on the customer side of the house with some really great tools that are in place that um, have allowed us to set up automated campaigns or automated rules so that based on a customer's behavior or lack of behavior, they're getting messages and content both in platform and through email in real time. So, you know, one very brief example is if we have a customer who's been an active user for a long time, but they go quiet for 30 days, but less than 60 days, right? So something has happened in, in a relatively short period of time. They're not using the platform anymore, but it hasn't been so long that like, that they're a lost cause. They are served up messages in multiple forms and fashions to get them back re-engaged into the product. And so we're doing those things in a lot of different ways and from a lot of different angles for our, our customers. Uh, from the prospect side of the house, obviously we use a pretty rigorous scoring system that incorporates the, the ideal customer profile, so the fit 
but does this customer look like one of our target accounts? It incorporates that with an engagement score with an intense score. So we're able to measure, you know, does this person look like the right prospect? Are they engaging with us and how are they engaging with us? And are they exhibiting signs of intent through other things on completely unrelated to our product or, or our messages? And then based on that behavior, they're getting, they're getting interacted with in a different way. That's, we're, we're way farther along than we were three years ago. But I think for any of us in marketing, we would say there's still a lot of room for improvement to really, really personalize that engagement at the individual level and in real time. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing and the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Katie, are you ready? I'm ready. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Oh, TripAdvisor, because I like to travel. <laughs> What's your what, what would be your TripAdvisor recommendation for the Portland area? Oh, Portland. Go to Eam. It's like a Thai smokehouse combo. Uh, what is your favorite book you've read recently? Uh, yeah, so I actually just read a book, and I'm, I can't read the entire title because it's uh, inappropriate, but it was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving... And that, heck. Uh, oh, I read that. Yes. That's an awesome book. Okay. What about ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. So I had, I love ad campaigns on Instagram, first of all, and I, I buy clothes from this company called MM LaFleur, which is like for women, corporate women who travel a lot and all the clothes, like they don't wrinkle, they, they're great, but they look very classy. They have really, really great personalized ads. And I wish that we could get B2B ads to be as, as smart and targeted as B2C ads. It will happen one day. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Build really great relationships with your peers, your board, and your CEO. Focus on that just as much as you focus on the actual art and science of marketing. Okay, final question. What piece of advice would you give to people that are in the CMO role right now that would like to be a president or a CEO or a COO or something in the future? Learn how to wear your enterprise hat in all the decisions you make. Meaning, look at every decision through the lens of the CEO versus the, the, the functional role that you are in. Katie, this has been awesome having you on the show. Uh, we got to have you back. This is great. Next time you're in the Bay, you got to stop by. Anything to plug? Any final thoughts here? Yeah, I would just encourage everybody to stay tuned. You know, Discover Org, uh, we, we acquired one of our, our biggest peers and competitors back in February, Zoom Info, and we're coming to market with a combined platform sometime later this year. I think it's going to game be, be a game changer in the b2b sales and marketing data industry and i cannot wait for everybody to see it i know i'm so excited too i can't wait for that everyone check out discoverorg.com you know go request a demo why not just have a have a have a blast with it and uh yeah katie we'll talk to you real soon great thanks guys thanks for listening to this episode of marketing trends Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. 
world-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.